talk louder than me. We are glad that you are here today on this beautiful day in July, the last day of July. Uh, amazing how fast the days go by. And uh, so uh, it is cool in here compared to outside. So we can stay all day, right? In the way of announcements in the bulletin, first of all, I want to say thank you uh, to each and every one who was part of the hospitality yesterday uh, for the uh, celebration of life for Cy Smith, and uh, appreciate all of those who contributed food, those who helped set up, those who helped clean up, those who attended the service, and, and whatever part that you played, we appreciate it very much. And while we're speaking about the hospitality that was shown yesterday, I have good news for you. If you're not part of the team yet, there's room for you. And I have inserted in the bulletin the Memorial Service Hospitality card. And if um, you are willing to, uh, to participate in any one of those ways listed on there or any other way that you can think of, if you fill out that card and drop it in the offering box back in the foyer on your way out today along with your tithes and offerings, and uh, you'll get connected with those people. And that doesn't mean that you have to do every service. It just means that you're available when you're available to pr provide a meal or to come and help set up or come clean up. And uh, just remind you of the other, uh, we're still collecting shoes, I think. Sneakers, tennis shoes uh, for Brenton. So for YWAM, that's right around the corner. Uh, time is flying by. And... Uh, and uh, also take note of the fact that the Mary Martha meeting will be a week from tomorrow on the 8th, right here at 1230. And then mark your calendars for September the 11th. We're going to have a church picnic again. We haven't had one for three years, I think it's been because of COVID. And we're going to meet at Hudson Parcher Park across the river and uh, after the second service. And uh, we'll have a time of fellowship around the table time of recreation, and we usually close out with a um, short worship service and a word from the Lord um, in the afternoon at uh, Hudson Parcher Park up on the hill in Rainier. That's on September the 11th. This morning as we come to Romans 16, the end of the book, and I think this will be the last message from Romans we started a year ago last Sunday, and it's the longest series I think I've ever shared uh, at one time from one book of the Bible. I've titled the message Doxology. Uh, and uh, perhaps some of you attended a church at some point in your life where they would sing what they call the doxology on an ongoing basis. And you know how that goes? Praise God from whom all blessings. Yeah, you know. Um, and over the years, there have been contemporary songwriters who've tried to add courses or bridges to it. But those of us who've been around for almost a century, we know those <clears throat> first verse and the first verse only. Uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I'll praise Him above or all creatures here below above. You heavenly hosts, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. In the Bible, there are several doxologies. And in Romans 16, and in my Bible, at the top of the page, it says doxology, over verse 25. And uh, if you have a study Bible or one of the modern translations, they put headings above paragraphs. And it's called the doxology. <clears throat> what is a doxology? Doxology, the definition in the dictionary on my computer, says simply means a liturgical formula of praise to God. A liturgical formula of praise to God. It's a hymn or verse glorifying God. Giving God the honor that is due his name. And that is how Paul wants to conclude this letter that he's written to the church in Rome with a hymn or verse glorifying God. As I said, you can find other uh, doxologies in the Bible and those of you that have the notes inside the bulletin you'll find notes there when we get to the end of those notes that means the message is done um, but it 
I'm not going to read these verses, but if you'd like to just do a little study on your own to see other doxologies that he put on the end of his letters, the writer of Hebrews put one on the end of his letter, the writer of Jude put one on the end of his letter, I put those verses there so you can look them up. But before we get to the doxology, we have to go back and pick up at verse 21 because I feel bad leaving verses out when I'm preaching uh, expository messages. And we only made it to verse 20 last week. We started in verse 17. We made it all the way to verse 20. As, uh, as we were talking, you know, the week before, the apostle uh, sent greetings to 24 different people, 17 men, seven women. He mentioned a couple of different households and three house churches and he's greeting these people that he knows and knows of in Rome, though he's never been there. And then in verse 17, he begins to give them some very stern warnings about you need to guard the unity of the body of Christ, and you need to keep your doctrine pure. Don't be taken in by false prophets and false teachers. Let's stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he, he ended with that benediction <clears throat> where he said to them, <clears throat> The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And last Sunday, if you weren't here, you missed it. But we ended the service last Sunday morning by, I just felt compelled that given my position that God has placed me in to lay hands on everyone who wanted to have that blessing pronounced on you, and I pronounced blessing on people. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And we talked about grace upon grace from John chapter 1. And uh, a powerful moment, I thought, for uh, our service last Sunday morning. And half the people didn't come back. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Today we begin in verse 21. where It writes, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertullus, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. And it seems that Paul's heart for people to greet them is contagious. And all the people that are gathered with him there in Gaius' home in Corinth, where he's hanging out for the winter, waiting for weather to travel to Jerusalem, they all say, hey, tell those guys hello from me as well. And while I understand that this is a letter, and the formal way to write a letter in that day would be begin with who's writing it, and at the end, greet the people that you're writing it to. But have you ever wondered why God includes these kinds of things in Scripture? I mean, he could have just taught all the principles that we needed to know without all these names that I have to make up the enunciation of them uh, because I don't know how they're supposed to be said. Why would God have these in here? I think they're there on purpose. And one of the reasons we talked about a week ago Every person matters to God. But the second thing is, we are reminded relationships are foundational to Christianity. Relationships are foundational to Christianity. The first relationship is the command of the Lord to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I have met people who tell me, I love God. I love God. I don't believe them because they don't love people. And John said, you can't say you love God who you haven't seen if you can't love people who you see. He said, you're using that as a cop-out. That's my paraphrase of First John. You're using that as a cop-out. You see, the second commandment, Jesus said, is just as great as the first commandment, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus raised it even a level higher for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You have love one for another. 
relationships are foundational in Christianity. We are reminded as these brothers send greetings to other brothers and sisters that communicating our love and appreciation for one another is vitally important. Communicating our love and appreciation for one another is vitally important. Now I think it's important to note that Paul is not just dropping names here when he's greeting people and sending greetings from people. Now I've met some people I know some people, I've known some people who um, love to share with me the famous people that they have been able to hobnob with. Sometimes hobnobbing means that they sat on the airplane, same airplane that the other person did, but, you know, um, they were in first, the other famous people in first class, there, but they were on the same plane. But uh, they wanted me to know that they had reached a level of life where they were probably a little above me because of who they... Paul's not listing those kind of people. In these list of names, there's men, there's women, there's people who have means, there's people who have no means. It is interesting. Did you see who wrote this? A guy named Tertullus. Tertullus, I discovered, means third, or number three. And it's, later on, it's, and my brother, uh, Quartus, greets you. Quartus means fourth. I discovered something in my reading, that in that day, in the Roman Empire, if a slave family had children, they didn't bother giving them names. They called them one, two, three, however many kids. So what scholars believe is Tertullus was probably a slave named number three, and his brother Quartus number four. He's the one that Paul has given the ink and quill to to write on that scroll everything that he's been dictating for these 16 chapters. Gaius, he's staying in his house. The house church met in his house. All these people are at Gaius' house. He must have had some house. He must have been a man of means. And then he talks about the the city treasurer is part of this group. What I want you to see is the church of Jesus Christ is a cross-section of all society. The rich, the poor, the Jew, the Gentile, slave, the free, black, white, brown, green, yellow, whatever, all come into the kingdom of God at the same place, the same level. We are all sons of God, and nobody gets in except through the cross of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. Jesus paid it all, and he brings us into the family of God. So we need to communicate our love. Uh, the list of names in Romans 16 reminds me of the mandate that the writer of Hebrews gives to us in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Have you noticed if you skip church and then you skip church, it becomes easier to skip church? He said the habit of some doing. You're not skipping church today, you're all here, and you're saying, thank God I was here today. (laughs) How many believe the day is approaching? That's the capital D day, the day that the Lord is going to say, that's enough. And he takes his church home, and the final judgment takes place. Relationships are foundational to Christianity. That's why there's names in the Bible. That's why there's greetings in the Bible, to remind us. Verse 25. At this point, 
it appears that the Apostle Paul takes up the quill and the ink himself and begins to write in his own hand. And I believe that because of what he wrote at the end of Second Thessalonians in the third chapter, in the 17th and 18th verse, the Apostle Paul says that at the end of every one of the letters, he takes the pen or the quill in his own hand and writes it in order to authenticate the fact that he wrote this letter, that it didn't come from somebody else. So it validates this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. You ever got a false letter? I got one faxed to me about three times in the last three weeks. Some guy in Canada says Marcus Giles died and he left some, I don't know, $28 million. And this, this great lawyer would be happy to share with me if I will give him my name. And I know if I give him my name, he's going to want $10,000. for. Uh, but, you know, um, you think it was an authentic letter? The fact that it was, no, you neither do I. Did you, did you ever have kids, dads, they came, your kids came to you and said, mom said? I learned early, I'm going to go ask mom. And there's a kid at our house now that tries that every once in a while. And it doesn't work. We've been around the block once or twice. Five or six times. So he says he writes this in his own hands to that they might know. All of his letters that they might know that I wrote it. So he starts in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. These verses are a hymn of praise to God for his works in us. He is summing up this letter in these three verses he sums up the whole letter in a word of praise to God the Father for his works in us praise God he says for establishing his children praise God for establishing you said it says strengthened the ESV says strengthened the NIV says established and as I looked at the concordances of the dictionaries in my concordances I discovered why they was the discrepancy because of the way that the word could possibly be translated and, and, and that word that Paul uses there could mean to to make fast to make fast to 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 cause them to be strengthened or be established it means to fix something so it stands upright and unmovable to fix something so it stands upright and unmovable. To make it firm. Another word is to prop it up. A couple of weeks ago when Vicky and Justice were off to teen camp, I uh, loaded up our, our dryer. They don't make things like they used to, but um, our dryer, it was heating, it was spinning it was doing everything it's supposed to but it was doing great noise because there was a bearing in one of those arms that has a wheel on it the bearing had gone out and uh, it was a little annoying to say the least so I loaded up and, and I took it to the appliance repair shop and then they repaired it uh, the next day and and I brought it home and and I and I got it into the laundry room and I hooked up the, the vent again, hooked up the water hose again, and, and plugged it in. Yeah, our dryer has a water hose. It has steam in it, okay? Um, and some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, and that's true. Um, and, I, and I push it back against where it's supposed to go, and I put my hand on the top of it, and it goes like this, back and forth, because those dryers come with adjustable feet, or legs, depending on whose website you read. 
those little plastic things with a screw that goes up through a nut someplace. So I have to get down on my hands and knees, put my fat little fingers underneath of that thing and begin to try to spin those nuts. All of them turn pretty easy, but one. Oh, I did forgot to tell you, I, I put my torpedo level on the top to make sure that when I, that it was gonna be level because I want everything to run properly because if they're not level, anyway. So I'm twisting on this one, this final one, and I have to get underneath of there with my channel locks to get it to spin, and I'm spinning, and I'm spinning, and I'm spinning, and I'm spinning, and the thing won't come down. It just spins and spins around. But being a carpenter, I know what to do. I went out to the garage and found two plastic shims, and I put them underneath of that leg, and, I, and that thing is firm. It's established. It's strengthened. Because if I would have left it like that and turned it on, it would have started vibrating across the room. But it needed to be firm. The Lord strengthens us. He firms us up. He puts us on solid ground. David put it this way in Psalms 40. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Now here's the thing, when, when he makes us firm, he doesn't make us firm so we sit in a chair in church and never move. He puts us on solid rock so that we are standing firm and able to go forward when he moves us to go forward. But he strengthens us, he establishes us. We have a table and chairs to go with this at our home. A wood table and wood chairs. Table looks good. It's, it's solid. It looks like real wood, really. I'm amazed. It was one that Vicky bought and it came in a box in pieces. It's great. Some assembly required. That's not a problem. There was directions and the parts were labeled. It couldn't get any easier. And I followed the directions, put it all together, Got it stand up, and when we turned it over, Justice and I, and you could, it's rocking. I move it on the floor, is my floor warped? No, it's not the floor. So I don't know whether one of the legs is shorter, or whether the person and the machine that, you know, put the pilot holes and the inserts where all the screws were to go in, whether that was off by an eighth of an inch or quarter of an inch, I don't know. It didn't have feet on it, but I went to Lowe's, found some adjustable feet, drilled some holes in the bottom, drove it in there and adjusted the table, got it all set. And the next time we sat down to eat, leaned on the table, one of those little feet just shot back up inside there. So I knew how to fix it. There's a shim underneath of it because it needs to be firm. It needs to be, you know, God has a way of shimming us up where we need to be shimmed up. Strengthening us, firming us up where we need to be firmed up. Amen? Amen. Paul wants us to give thanks to God because he's at work in our lives to establish us, to help us find firm standing. So we're not rocking back and forth with every wind of doctrine that comes along. We're not shaken up by the circumstances of life. We know that God is at work. So we can sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We can sing the song that we haven't sang for a little while. We used to sing it quite a bit. He is my rock, my shield, my fortress. He's my salvation and my strength. The cords of death were surrounding me, but he heard my cry for help. So I'll stand in trust. I'll stand in faith. I will not be shaken. I'll stand in trust. I'll stand in faith. I will not be shaken. Our God will not be moved. Our God will never change. Our God will reign forevermore. So I'll stand in trust. I'll stand in faith. I will not be shaken. 
The next note is this. It is God who's able to strengthen me. It's God who's able to strengthen me. It's God who gives me my sense of identity. It's God who gives me my sense of worth. It's God who gives to me my purpose for living. It's God who causes all things to work together for good. The good, the bad, the ugly. God who causes everything to work to good because he's making me more like Christ. It is God who causes the fruit of spirit to grow in my life as I submit myself to obey his word. God strengthens me. When I do what he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul said, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. God can establish us and make us strong and steadfast in any circumstance. He can make us strong and steadfast in any circumstance. Go home and Google the story of It Is Well With My Soul by H.B. Spafford. Came across another story this past week from history. I love hearing about men in our history who experienced the goodness and grace of God. And I want you to know it's still happening today on an ongoing basis, but I just kind of like hearing some of those from history. The story I read this week was about Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey was a singer and songwriter who traveled with D.L. Moody when D.L. Moody would do evangelistic crusades. Moody would preach, Sankey would sing, and Sankey would lead music. At the height of his ministry, Sankey was traveling one day on a, a steamer on the Delaware River. And there was somebody on that steamer, that boat, that recognized him um, because they'd seen his picture in, in the paper connected with Moody. And they asked him, hey, could you sing one of your compositions? And he said, well, you know what? I would really like to sing one of Wilmer, William Badbury's songs, uh, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. Why don't you sing it with me? And they all begin to sing, and they get to the second verse, singing, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. And he goes on. When they were all done singing, there was a man in the crowd who stepped forward and said, Were you in the army, Mr. Sankey? Well, yes, I joined in 1860. Did you ever do guard duty at night in Maryland about 1862? Why, yes, I did. Well, I was in the Confederate army, the stranger said. And I saw you one night at Sharpsburg. You were wearing a blue uniform. And I had you in the sight of my gun as you stood there in the light of the full moon. And I was just about to squeeze the trigger, and you began to sing. And Sankey was astounded because he began to recall the incident. It was the same hymn that you sang tonight. We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. And I couldn't shoot you. God is able to establish us, strengthen us in any circumstance that comes our way. Because he's our shield. He's our buckler. He goes before us. He's our rearward. And underneath are the everlasting arms of God. But the main thrust to what Paul is saying here in this 25th verse has to do with the establishment of our salvation. Salvation is all from him. By faith, we receive his grace. And he gives us the gift of faith, Paul said in Ephesians. He's able to make us stand. He's able to prop us up upright and stand firm. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and he said this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's at work strengthening you, establishing you in your salvation today. There is no fear he cannot diminish. 
There is no fear that he cannot diminish. By his grace, we can embrace courage. If you didn't have any fear, you wouldn't need courage. But he says, don't be afraid. Choose to have courage. Because God is at work establishing us. There is no danger from which he cannot deliver. There's no danger from which he cannot deliver. I read a story this week and I wasn't going to put it in, but it just comes to my mind as I'm thinking about this. It talks about some missionaries who were on a boat going down the Amazon, going through some unfriendly territory where there was some, I don't know what the proper political correct word is, but these Indians who had bow and arrows, uh, huge bow and arrows, they saw these missionaries coming, these white folks, and they were going to shoot at them. But just as they're came into range a huge wind blew these arrows off of this and blew all the arrows in every which direction and the missionaries went on through because they didn't by the time they saw that they were being ambushed there was nothing they could do later on one of those people shooting at these missionaries came face to face with one of the missionaries and grabbed hold of him to find out if he was human because he couldn't believe what he'd seen take place there's no anxiety that he cannot quiet. There's no anxiety that he cannot quiet. How does God quiet our anxiety? Philippians 4.4 4 said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And he said, And when you bring your prayers and supplication with thanksgiving to God, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. There's no despair. He cannot lift you. There's no despair. He cannot lift. David cried out, Oh, my soul, why art thou cast down? And by the time he gets to the end of that song and he begins to re remember the things that God has done, he's once again praising God instead of being in despair. Let it be. Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 16, 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus saves and Jesus keeps us. Jesus saves, Jesus keeps us. We are continually maintained, continually strengthened, continually established by his presence in our lives. I remind you what John said about Jesus in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's eternal. But that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory as of the only begotten. And then in verse 17, he said, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. The Word who became flesh have seen the Father and when he became flesh, he made the Father known to us. We are established, we are strengthened by knowing Jesus. Not knowing about him, but by knowing Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples when Philip said, Father, or Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, how long do I have to be with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What we read in chapter 1 of John is Jesus came to reveal the Father. He's made him known. Paul in his doxology at the end of Romans 16 declares the gospel that he's been given. 
He calls it my gospel, but he's not saying he has some unique gospel that nobody else has. But the same gospel that Peter and John and James and all the rest of them were preaching because Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ where Jesus revealed to him incredible things that Jesus had said to the apostles. He said, that gospel, that gospel that we were given, Jesus is the gospel. He came, he lived, he died, but he rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and one day he's coming back again for those who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and looking for his coming. But between now and then, those who believe in him are infilled by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in us. Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, We preach Jesus. We preach Jesus crucified. It's all about Jesus. From the beginning, the book of Genesis, to the very end, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All the, the laws that God gave to the Israelites, all the feasts that he gave to them, were pointing to the day that the Messiah would come, that the Christ would come, the Anointed One would come. From the time he said to Eve and to the serpent, serpent, you're going to crush, or you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That's the first indication we have that Christ is coming. All the prophets point to him. And then he came. And then he came. John 17, 3 says this. This is eternal life. This is Jesus praying to the Father that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know God, to know Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said to the disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He did not say, I am a way, I am a truth, and a form of life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are exhorted, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, he's talking about chapter 11, and all those people who died in the faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus. 1993, Graham Kendrick wrote a song. We sang it in the 90s. We sang it into the first part of the 2000s. I don't think we've sang it for the last 10 or 12 years. I don't know. But I put the lyrics on the screen for you this morning. I just wanted you to see them uh, one more time. Verse 1, Graham wrote, All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss. Spent and worthless, now compared to this. The chorus goes, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there's no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Verse 2, now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn, all surpassing gift of righteousness. Verse 3, Oh, to know the power of your risen life and to know you in your sufferings, to become like you in your death, my Lord, so with you to live and never die. And the chorus, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing. 
You're my all. You're my best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Love you, Lord. Do you know Jesus today? Do you love Jesus today? He loves you. The key to standing is making Jesus the center of everything. The key to being established and being firm is making Jesus the center of everything. When Jesus is the center of everything, we know that we are standing firm on the rock of ages that will not move. We can say what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in his last days, I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Philippians 3, Graham Kendrick wrote this song from Paul's testimony. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is given his, his resume, his credentials. He talks about the fact that I was, uh, I, was, I was born in a Jewish family. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, they spoke the language, the Old Testament language. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisee. And in matters of the law, I was blameless. I mean, there weren't many other guys who had a pedigree or a resume that would match his. But he said this, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in death, that I may know him. If you find yourself wavering and tottering and out of balance in the world that we live in today, focus on Jesus. Read about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Make the Gospels your spiritual meat and potatoes, the sustenance of your life. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Peter said, you alone, Lord, have the words of life. We sang earlier, you deserve the glory. And the chorus ends with, there is no one else like you. There is no one like you. There's no one or nothing that compares to his glory. Focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We used to sing the chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Focus on Jesus. Let her see. Praise God for the mystery revealed. Praise God for the mystery revealed. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ... According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. He continues to thank God for the fact that we're strengthened by the fact that God has revealed a mystery. Now when he uses this word mystery, he's not talking about something mysterious in terms of trying to find something that's unexplainable. Like the monster of Loch Ness, whatever. The Bermuda Triangle. That's not the, the essence of the word. The mystery here refers to a secret which was once kept dark, but is now revealed. It was a secret that was kept under wraps, but it's now been revealed. Dr. Gray Barnhouse, in his writings, when he talks about this mystery, 
he, he liked to describe it by sharing a personal testimony from his own life. And uh, he had hired a single woman to be his secretary at his church office. She was a terrific employee. And as far as he knew, she was single and loving it. To his knowledge, she was dating no one. That was okay with him because he didn't want to lose her to some man taking her away someplace. However, one Sunday morning as he parked his car, someone approached him in the parking lot and said, Max and Elizabeth are engaged. And he couldn't believe it. Elizabeth was his secretary. However, when he got to the church door, another person was happy to share with him the same information. Max and Elizabeth are engaged. He still didn't believe it. But when he walked into his office complex, there she was, and she was just beaming radiantly. In answer to his question, she affirmed it was true. She and her new husband-to-be planned to serve Wycliffe Bible translators in Mexico. Barnhouse reflected. He was a true mysterion. Mysterion is the alliteration of the Greek word of mystery. He was a true mysterion in the New Testament sense. It had been completely hidden, absolutely unknown, totally unexpected. Then suddenly it was whispered to one person, and the news spread like weaves in the, it weaves in the wind. True, after we knew that young people were engaged, we could look back and remember certain circumstances which might have led us to suspect if we'd only been thinking in that direction. A story just like that happened right here in this congregation over the past year. There was a couple who thought that they were a secret thing. And they are getting married in September, okay? Um, Paul says, it was a great mystery or a secret that had been lit, hidden for long ages, but it has been revealed. And the mystery... Paul writes about it in several places. We're not going to cover all of them, but I want to hit two or three of them real quickly. And when a preacher says real quickly, what does that mean? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> there is the mystery of Christ in us. The mystery of Christ in us. Colossians 1.27 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Get that? The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. I uh, encourage you to go home today and read Ephesians chapter 1 and see what Paul has to say about in, Christ in. 15 times in those 15 verses. There's a, something that has to do within. And I didn't give them to you, but you can look them up yourself. But in verse 1, it's in Christ Jesus. In verse 3, in Christ. In Him and in His sight. In verse 4, in accordance with His pleasure and will. In verse 5, in the one He loves. In verse 6, in Him and in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In verse 7, in Christ. Verse 9, in Him and in conformity with the purpose of his will, verse 11, in Christ, verse 12, in Christ, in him, verse 13, in the Lord Jesus, verse 15. Did you get all those? This amazing reciprocal truth is the signature of the Christian life. And here's a slide. I don't think I put it in your notes. I'm in Christ, and he is in me. No other religion knows anything of this. It's our mysterion. It's our mystery. I'm in Christ, and he is in me. I'm in Christ, and he is in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The second aspect of this ministry is this. There's the mystery of Gentiles and Jews both being saved. There is the mystery of Gentiles and Jews both being saved. Again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. 
Paul said, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how this mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He said it's just been revealed in recent times that God intended for the Gentiles to be saved along with the Jews. Well, it wasn't totally hidden. God left some clues. He told Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 15, I will make of you a great nation and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That was the first precursor to the fact that one day they'd be one big happy family. Jews didn't hear it that way. Paul didn't hear it that way. Remember he was on the road to Damascus to arrest people of the way, people who were Christians, because they were heretics as far as the Jewish people were concerned. And you remember what the Jews called Gentiles, right? They, they called them dogs. There was this ongoing, unfortunately, that some of that still exists today, where the Gentiles look down on the Jews, and kind of opposite way of bigotry and whatever anti-Semitism going on. But in that day, if a Gentile went into the court of the temple, it was a capital offense. But Paul, on his way to Damascus, he's arrested by Jesus. Knocked down, blinded. He, God says, what do you want me to do? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Who are you? What do you want me to do? I want you to go wait. And he goes to that house where he's told to go, and he waits for a couple days, three days. And God shows up and speaks to a man of God named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, Hey, Saul of Tarsus is down at Sosinshus' house, and I want you to go lay hands on him and anoint him for ministry. And Ananias says, Hey, Lord, you must have things mixed up. You've got the wrong address. That guy came to arrest us. God says to him, No, no, no. Things are different now. He's praying. He's really praying. He's had an encounter. And I have chosen him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't God, he has a great sense of humor. How ironic that the Pharisee of the Pharisee, who would not come in close proximity to a Gentile lest he be defiled, God says, I want to make you the apostle who takes the message that Jesus Christ died for them and we're all going to be one big happy family. The secret's out, Paul said. There's the mystery of, of a marriage as a picture of the church and Christ. The mystery of a marriage as a picture of the church and Christ. Ephesians 5.31 said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, is what Paul says. The concept of the Old Testament, where did God dwell? In the Holy of Holies, in the temple, behind the veil. Before that, it was in the tabernacle, in the holy place, behind the veil. Who could go in? The high priest was the only one who had access after he offered certain sacrifices in a certain way and cleansed himself in a certain way, if he did not do everything in a certain way, he could be toast. Jesus died on the cross. When he bowed his head and died, what happened in the temple? The veil was torn in two. A.D. 70, that temple was destroyed and has not been back since. You know why? Because Paul writes in Corinthians, Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I went all that long way to say, what happened now 
is that as a church of Jesus Christ, we have become one with Christ because Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And as man and wife become one flesh, we have become one in spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our marriage here is marriage with a lowercase m. There's coming a day when the great wedding feast will take place and it'll be the marriage with a capital M and all the way capital letters because that marriage to Christ will be fully consummated as we are in his presence forever. That's a good place to say. Because this mystery has been revealed, we've been able to do at least two things. We are able to deny our natural abilities and strengths and rely wholly on Jesus' ability and strength. We are able to deny our natural abilities and strengths, and you say, why would I do that? Well, I don't know how it is with ladies, but I know how it is with men. We're pretty proud of what we can do. And we want to do everything we can possibly do by ourselves. But you know what? No one's going to make it to heaven by themselves. There won't be anybody there that boasts, I did it. When I learn to rely on Jesus' ability and strength is where life really begins to take place. Remember what Solomon said? Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. We read last week, or the week before, I don't know, I lose track of weeks, where Paul, it was last week, where Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and God said to him, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what this is saying. However strong I am, he's stronger. However smart I am, he's a lot smarter. Number two, we are to live our lives today as though Jesus himself was living them. We are, a, we are able to live our lives today as though Jesus himself was living them. You've heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? But we're able to live that way. Really? Yeah, Galatians 2:20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives where? In me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's with me. Isaiah said, because he's with me, though I go through the flood, I won't drown. Though I go through the fire, I won't be burned, because he's with me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So you can boldly say, I will not fear what man can do to me. What a mystery. What a miracle. And what a call to praise God this morning. God is able to prop us up. He's able to establish us. He's able to strengthen us. And he does it all through Jesus Christ. When Jesus is the subject of our proclamation, the subject of our conversation, the subject of our meditation, we stand. We stand firm. When he is the subject of our proclamation, I love to sing the song, We Believe. We believe God the Father. We believe. We believe. When he is the subject of our proclamation, our conversation, our meditation, we stand. As we grow in Jesus... Those mystery doors seem to open wider and we begin to comprehend more and more who Jesus is. We begin to really know him intimately and personally and the light of his glory is revealed in our life. Praise is to be our constant occupation and preoccupation. Praise is to be our constant occupation and preoccupation. Our constant occupation, that's what we're... That's what we're here for. We were created to bring pleasure to the Father. Revelation chapter 4, verse 14, I think. You might check me up. That just comes to my mind. And for your pleasure, we were created. Thou art worthy, O God. Thou art worthy, O God. 
Revelation 7.11 says this, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. John is writing the vision he saw in Revelation. And several times he, see, he describes for us what he sees around the throne of God. He said, they fall on their faces to worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Worship, praise is to be our occupation and preoccupation. Letter D, praise God for his wisdom. Praise God for his wisdom. Verse 27, the end of the doxology, to the only wise God be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Praise God for his wisdom. Praise God for his wisdom. Verse 26, our God is the only God. Our God is the only God. Men have made gods in their imaginations. But there's one God. One God. One God. One day, a little boy, you probably heard this story, was in school and he's drawing a picture and his teacher comes by and says, what are you drawing? I'm drawing a picture of God. She says, you can't do that. Nobody's ever seen God. Nobody knows what he looks like. They will know when I get done. <laughs> Jesus came and he showed us the Father. But you know what? When we get done, people ought to know something more about God because they've seen something of Jesus Christ flowing out of our lives. The little boy had more wisdom in what he said than he knew. If I live for the Lord, people are going to see the Lord. Our God is the only wise God. Our God is the only wise God. Whatever our God is, He's infinite. He's omnipresent. I don't understand that, but He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that He cannot do. And He's all-knowing. All-knowing. Because God is all-knowing and because of God's wisdom, he, out of the outflow of that infinite wisdom, He is able to devise perfect ends to each and every matter or circumstance by perfect means. Even when I don't do the perfect will of God, He is smart enough, He's wise enough to figure out how to put situations together that brings me back to center. Because He's all-wise. In his wisdom, he has made it possible. And I had some long notes and I abbreviated them for your notes. So they'd all fit on the page before we got to the end. He made it possible for those who were once bound to earth by their own sinful depravity to be loosed from their sins. And how did I put it? For those once bound by their sin to be loosed. One of the things that we learned in Romans is that we've all sinned. And come short of the glory of God. We learned in Romans that if we submit ourselves to sin, we become a slave to that sin. So we were all slaves to sin before we come to Jesus Christ. But he sets us free, and there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We've been set free in Jesus. We've been, set, we've been loosed. And because our sins have been forgiven... We've come to know that the throne of God as our eternal home. How did I put it up there? To know the throne of God as eternal home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We used to sing, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop because King James said, in my father's house are many mansions, but... Now the new translations say are many places or many rooms. I don't care if it's a room, park bench. To be in the presence of Jesus in a place where sin is no longer and death is no longer. 
and on and on we could go, but we won't. Because of his wisdom, he made it possible for those of us who are made lower than the angels to be rise higher than the angels. The angels are not going to be able to sing the song that we sing. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They'll not be able to sing, Oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the King. His royal blood now flows in my veins. Which brings me to the last one. He made it possible for you and I to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. David says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Do you know how much the Lord loves you? You know how much the Lord wants you to be part of his family forever? Not just to enjoy this life, but to be part of the forever family. I don't understand forever. And if you say you do, I think you're mistaken. We live in finite But there's coming a day when there will no longer be finite. It'll be infinite life that never ends in the presence of Jesus Christ. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to worship him one more time by singing how great.